0: Good morning. It's, again, it's a, it's a real privilege to come. Um, and especially so grateful for Living Hope Bible Church, who sent me out to missions uh, in 1999, okay, when the church was much smaller. I think when the church was just like 60, 75 people. What a blessing it is that we have our building now. We don't have to bring the chairs in every week and, pl- and do all the setup up every week. It's so, uh, such a blessing to be here. So as you said, I am currently a missions pastor in Covenant Evangelical Free Church in Singapore, and I travel around um, the different countries in South Asia uh, doing missions. And we partner with local churches to do disciple making and also uh, missions work. And I, by divine appointment, we met a church I think you know, Higher Rock, a church as well. We had lunch with them with, um, with Pastor Bob and Brother Vance. And they're good friends of uh, Pastor Doug Nichols as well. And Pastor Joe has preached at their church. So as you we were just talking about it, and they're like, Oh, where, where are you from? I'm from Seattle. And somehow they said, what church you go to? And somehow they said, oh, we know a Pastor Pastor Joe. And they said, what? Pastor Joe? I'm good friends with him. I knew him before he was Pastor Joe when he was just Joey. <laughs> he was Joey a long time ago. Uh, but he got more serious and became Pastor Joe. Um, so we go way back. So I just really opened the door. So we're really exploring partnering with Higher Rock Church in Manila. And some of you have went on a mission trip and met them as well. So again, as Pastor Joe has um, introduced my family, again, a picture of my family. We have three kids now. I left single in 1999. God has blessed me with a wife and three children. So um, Enoch and Elijah and Sophie. And the biggest issue of having three kids is I can't remember their names. I, I, I look at them and like, I go through all the names before I get to the right one. And so that's one thing of having three kids. And, but one thing about I try not to forget is their names. And another thing I try not to forget is really instilling a love for God and a love for people. And I think for you who are parents, I think that's one of our, our greatest goals for our children is how do we install a love of God and a love of, of missions in our children. And I thought that's where our topic will be today is how do we instill this missions heart for the world? Because God has called all of us to be global Christians. And how do we begin in missions work? So let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. It's a very familiar passage. let me read it for you. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. And Jesus went through all, out all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for blessing us. Thank you for your word. I pray as we preach your word, we will open our eyes and open our hearts to your word. They will not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So again, today's topic is how can every disciple be involved in missions? Where can we begin? And there's two things in this passage I'd like to bring out for you. Um, is for first thing is we have to see as God sees. But let's look at the context of chapter 9. So chapter 9 is Jesus going around, and he's doing a lot of healings. Okay? Well, he's healing a paralytic. He calls Matthew. He heals um, a woman. He heals blind man and then heals, but um, I can't speak. And then he comes to verse 35. So he's going around through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. So Jesus is quite busy doing a lot of work, a lot of ministry. And it, while he's doing a lot of ministry, it says he saw. Okay, he saw. And this word saw isn't just like a quick glance. It's a really long look. So as Jesus was in ministry, as he was walking along the streets, he looked at the people and he saw two things in this passage. First, what did he see? He saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. And why did Jesus have compassion on them? He tells us in the passage, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. So he He knew he had compassion on them because these people were being harassed and helpless. And harassed and helpless is like something was happening to people that were making them very sad, very disappointed. It could have been diseases. It could have been governmental issues. So he saw their pain in their lives, some external pains as well. But you look closely, what does it say? He was also sad for them because they weren't only harassed and helpless, they were sheep without a shepherd. So, he didn't just see what was happening externally to people. He saw something deeper in them. He said they were sheep without a shepherd. Now, for those who know, sheep aren't the the most brilliant of animals. When the shepherd is gone, the sheep are aimless. And when Jesus looked at the crowds, he saw that people were lost. He saw that people who did not know God, did not know him, were lost. They were sheep without a shepherd. And for those who know, who aren't, who, who believe this, is that when you don't have hope, when you don't have direction in your life, you feel very aimless. You're very, very aimless. And sometimes Jesus is very good at looking what's in the heart. I'm not sure why the lights are turning on, but it's okay. Um, Jesus always sees what's in the heart. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus always looks what's deep going down deep in our hearts. I think sometimes, even back then, people put up an external facade that they look good, they, they look great, they're doing fine. But Jesus always looks what's going in the heart. And Jesus has compassion for that. And that's one thing I learned from this passage that God sees whatever pain we are going through. So when Jesus looks at it, he knows all the difficult trials, all the harassment that we're going through, some of the illnesses that we're going through, some of the troubles that work we're going through. Jesus sees those things. But Jesus is really concerned that sometimes our lives have no direction. And Jesus really especially has compassion for those who do not know him. You know, my my wife has a good friend. And on the outside, she looks great. She has her own organic business. She's selling all these products. And she's successful in Singapore. And she she has a boyfriend. Everything looks great. You know, she says, I don't need Christ. I don't need religion. But then last year, she found out her boyfriend was cheating on her for eight years with another woman. And her whole life just fell apart and she was directlessness and she felt really lost inside and she was like what is life all about and when jesus looks at her jesus has compassion on her because compassion is one of the greatest aspects of jesus life and as christians today we also must be people of compassion so missions really begins when we see people and we have compassion on them. That's where missions begin. Missions begin with going out to the nations and doing a lot of things, really seeing people and seeing their hearts. And I think sometimes we are so busy, uh, involved with our work, involved with so many things, we forget to look at people and really see what they're going through, especially people who do not know Christ. So my question is, is that at work or at school, when people look at you, when they know you're a Christian, would they say you're the most compassionate person in the workplace? When people are sad, when they're going through difficult trials, do they come to you to know that you have a listening ear for them? Because compassion is one of the hallmarks of Christianity. So in order to have a missional heart, we really have to have eyes of compassion as well. But Jesus just didn't stop at having compassion. People look at the passage again. It says, the sheep without shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, he saw something else. He looked at his disciples and he said, The harvest is plentiful. Now think about this. Why did Jesus change the words? Why didn't he just go, why didn't he say to disciples, the crowds are plentiful, or there's lots of people out there? Why did Jesus suddenly turn the word around from crowds to harvest? That's a very intentional change. And the reason is, Jesus does not just see the problems of people. Jesus does not just see the sadness of people. Jesus sees that one day, these people will turn to him. That one day people's pain will end. That one day there'll be a breakthrough in their life and they'll come to know him. So when Jesus looks at the crowd, he sees all the things we go through, but he knows that in this crowd of people, some people are going to turn to him. And the word harvest is like during winter, everything's dead. Everything looks very barren. But once spring comes, there's life. And when Jesus sees people, he sees hope. He sees hope in people. So missions isn't just seeing with eyes, with compassion, and say, oh, you poor thing. (laughs) But it's really seeing people and their problems in light that God may bring life to them. God may bring a harvest to them. That's where missions begin, when we see people and see their potential to come to him. When you look at John verse 35 if you turn to John chapter 4 verse 35 the woman in Samaria this same passage is used there and he said after his whole episode with the woman at the well he said the fields are white for harvest he said that right after the whole episode with the woman at the well and he's telling his disciples that this woman at the well who's had gone through so many disappointments in life has now found me and now she is ready to accept the Lord and she has gone from weeping and wailing to being a disciple of mine I know many of us have non-christian believers non-christian families and friends and my encouragement to you is always have compassion on them always be ready to send a listening ear but always see that God potentially will lead them to Christ one day never give up on them never give up for them and have compassion on them and I'm so grateful that this church is very, it's a very compassionate church. You go on mission trips. I think last Friday you are packing up bags to send to the, the, the center in the Philippines. Those are wonderful things. Continue to do so. In our church, we're doing many things to reach out to the, to the non-Christians in our community. One thing we're doing is there are many construction workers from South Asia, from Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, coming um, to Singapore. And our church is partnering with the agency to open a medical, medical clinic each sunday so each sunday night our church members our doctors our volunteers goes and provides medical care for these migrant construction workers and it's because we want to be compassionate as jesus are compassionate and singapore is also many students come from different parts of the world and many students come from china And we've asked many of our families to befriend them when they're coming to Singapore. We ask them to be kind to them, take them out to lunch, show them the town. And we have many families adopting um, university students from China for a year. We've been doing that as well. But for for personally, for me, uh, my biggest field is really uh, my wife's family. My wife's family is not uh, many of them are not Christians as well. Um, This is in two zero zero nine. I got married uh, to my wife. And this is a picture of her, her dad's side. And during that time, um, when, I, when I met them, my heart really went out to them. None of them know the Lord. And, you know, and, and a lot of them speak Chinese, and my Chinese is terrible. <laughs> and a lot of times I don't want to go to family events because then I have to practice my Chinese. But I just, we just try our best to spend time with them, to listen to their stories. And you know, God has done a great work. In the last five years, many of them have come to know the Lord. So Auntie Linda came to know the Lord. Um, Talong, who has cerebral palsy, has also come to know the Lord. His father, um, he contracted cancer, and before he died, he was baptized as well. And then Auntie Irene, who is here as well, I think she's, she's right there. She also became a believer a few years ago as well. And again, this is really God saying, the harvest is plentiful. And to never give up on praying for our non-Christian friends and believers as well. So my question for us is, do we we see as God sees? And do we have eyes of compassion and to see people for harvesting as well? Because only three things are going to last forever in this world. The first thing is the living God, the living word, and the souls of men. And God wants us to have eyes to see those things. But we cannot only have compassion. Compassion can only get us so far because compassion should lead to action. So not only the first step in missions is not only just to see as God sees, but eventually God leads us to action for this compassion. So let's look at verse 37, the second part. It says, The harvest is plentiful, but it says, The laborers are few. Okay, so it's a little bit of bad news here. Jesus is saying that there's so many people out there with so many problems And many people are turning to me, and some people are waiting to hear the gospel, but the laborers are few. There's lots of things to do, but there's just not enough people to do the work. So when you think the laborers are for your thinking, well, aren't there Pharisees? Aren't there scribes? Aren't there lots of religious leaders out there as well? There are. But again, a lot of these religious leaders didn't have a lot of compassion on the people. They were more interested in the rule of the law than really helping people turn to the Lord. So Jesus is saying there isn't a lot of laborers to do the work. Now this is a really interesting part where you need to pause. So the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. So what do you think Jesus is going to say? He looks at his disciples and say, therefore, you think he was going to say, well, because the laborers are few, I want you all to go out on a mission trip and spread the gospel to those people. Or maybe you might say, Jesus might tell, okay, disciples, I want you to start a collection for a clothing drive to raise um, clothes and send them to the orphans and widows. But Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say any of those things. Actually, Jesus says something completely opposite than what we would think. Jesus says, therefore, pray. Of all the things that Jesus asked the people to do, he asked them to pray. Now you think, there's a huge needs out there. There's lots of people need to hear the gospel. And Jesus is saying, the first thing you should do is pray. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, that is so inactive. <laughs> you know, that's like counterintuitive. Because we want to, We are like people who take action. If there's a problem, we want to solve it. But Jesus says, pray. Why would Jesus tell them the first step is to pray? And the answer is in the text. Because prayer, it says pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord. And the first thing about missions you must know is missions is about God's work. It's not our work. And when we're forced to pray, it tells us that missions is all about God's work. We're not in charge of it. Reaching people for the uh, the gospel, sending missions, it's all about, it's owned by God. And when we pray, it's an intentional tool that reminds us of that. And it says, secondly, pray to the Lord, Lord of the harvest. Again, it's saying God is in charge of the harvest, not us. So missions is about God's people, not our people. One of the mistakes I do in missions is when I go to Philippines or I go to Indonesia, I always think that these, these people are my projects. <laughs> you know, I'm responsible for them. You know, and if I share the gospel, they accept the Lord, I like to pat myself on the back and say, Great job, or we want to go there for a mission trip and do all these works. And there's a sense sometimes we get we think they're our work. But again, when God says when you when God says it's not your work, it's his work. Missions is about God's work. He's the Lord of the harvest and he's in charge of turning them to Christ. Like when our family that when I, I showed a picture of our wedding family, you know, God did all of that work. You would think that me and my wife went at a house every week and shared the gospel every week. We didn't. We didn't actually do anything. We're and we're so shocked that slowly they became to know the gospel and they became Christians. And we can honestly say we did we had a lot we didn't have a lot to do with it. Because those people belong to God. I think sometimes when our our Christian our our parents or our friends don't know God. Sometimes we feel a lot of pressure that we need to do something, but God is saying, actually, you need to to let them pray for them and let me do the work. Only God can change the heart. So not only it says pray to the Lord, pray to the Lord of the harvest. So the next part is even more amazing. It says pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So basically, missions is about God as the HR manager. God is the one is the HR manager of missions. He's the one who sends people out. Sometimes we say the church sends them out, or I send myself up. Actually, God is the one who calls people, and God is the one who sends people. And this is what I want to say is very interesting. So all the missionaries, all the people who go on short-term missions, all the people go on the field, is because someone prayed to God to send someone. And God answered that prayer by sending someone. So when Pastor Don Nichols, when his family went to the Philippines, it's because someone prayed for the Philippines, and God called them to go. I didn't send myself. Someone probably in this church, I blame one of you here, (laughs) that prayed for Asia or China. And because of that prayer, God sent me to China. And a couple years ago, you guys went to the Philippine trip. You think you all sent yourself that you did your own schedule, but it's because someone prayed for the Philippines that the whole team from here went to the Philippines, went to Manila. It's because someone prayed. So church missions really begins with prayer, not with a program. Many mistakes we do in missions and churches, we program everything. We advertise, we put a, a notice in the bulletin, and we ask people to come. And those things are great. But the biggest thing to do in missions is prayer. When we pray, God will do the work in missions. But there's one word here I need to show you. How, can we, how are we supposed to pray? It says pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. What does it really mean to pray earnestly? And I think this is a whole other. Pray earnestly. There's two things I want to talk about. I think pray earnestly means we should pray constantly and we should pray believingly. So praying constantly, earnestly means we should pray about it a lot. Not just once in a while, okay, pray for Philippines, but we pray earnestly and pray constantly. Let me give an illustration of what this means. My son is, when he was three years old, he loved, my son has a a sweet tooth. He just loves chocolates and biscuits. Okay, so after dinner, we always, after you finish your dinner, you get to have a cookie, Right? A cookie. So we'll give him a cookie, and like any three-year-old child, they'll say, oh, mommy, can I have one more? One more cookie, mommy. And of course, mommy will say, no, you only get one. Do you think my son's going to stop at that? No, he will say, oh, please, mommy, can I have just one more? I promise it's the last one. Okay, am I, We're trying to be good parents. We're probably be strict parents and not be indulgent. We say, no more, you had your one. Do you think he's going to stop? He goes, please, mommy, give me one, and we'll share it. <laughs> They're smart. We'll share it. Okay? I mean, me and my wife see right through that. We see right through it, and we say, no more cookies for you. One was enough. And then finally, do you think my son's going to stop? Finally, he goes, he puts his hands together. goes, please, mommy. And finally, we, seeing that face, we relent, and we give him the cookie. <laughs> We we do, and for those parents, you know how it feels. And that's what praying constantly means. You know, we pray and we pray and we ask and we ask. And this asking over and over again is very biblical. God asks us to pray over and over and over again. So when we pray for our non-Christian friends, when we pray for missions, we keep on praying year after year after year after year. It means constantly until God answers our prayer. We should never give up. I know many of you have non-Christian friends. You've been praying for many years. Don't give up. Okay? Don't give up. And some of your parents are not believing yet. Don't give up. I know some of you, are, I know this year there was a, a Philippines trip that was planned but it was canceled because there wasn't enough people. Continue to pray that God will send a team to the Philippines next year. Just continue to pray and to pray. But praying um, earnestly does not just mean, mean praying over and over and over again, like a mantra, okay? It's not a mantra. It's, there's something else, a prayer. Praying earnestly means praying with belief. And this is something I share every time I preach somewhere, praying with believing. Pray that you actually believe that God answers prayer. And I always struggle with this, because sometimes I don't believe that God answers prayer. Let me give you a, a good example of this. Okay, the other day in our church, someone was sick in our small group, and we pray that God will heal him and God will make him well. And the very next day, he, he uh, texts us and says, I'm well. Thank you for your prayers. And a lot of us are like, wow, that was fast. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I, we actually say, I can't believe God answered that prayer so quickly. You know? Or when, I believe one of our cell um, group members, their parent wasn't a believer, and we prayed that at this event she would accept the Lord. And we, we said it, And when she accepted the Lord, we all went, wow, I can't believe she accepted the Lord. And you know, these phrases kind of creep in. I can't believe. And when we say things like that, I say things like that, it actually shows you that you don't really believe that God answers prayer. So actually, one thing that I ask my church members to do is, when God answers a prayer, don't say, I can't believe. Or I'm surprised. You just simply say, God answers prayer. Amen. Amen. Because we need to change our mindset that God answers prayer. And because God has asked to pray for the harvest, pray for the labor, we have to believe that God's word is true. Because we don't believe. So one thing um, in Singapore we're, we're really asking our people is to, again, to pray as well. And one event last year in Singapore, last year Singapore is 50 years old. I know compared to America, it's like a little baby. <laughs> but Singapore became 50 years old last year. And the churches believed that the churches need to come together to pray with belief and pray constantly. So a few churches came together and we, we just asked the churches to send all the Christians to the national stadium. And our goal was that 50,000 Christians in Singapore would come together for, our, for the largest prayer meeting in history. And and I tell you, there's a picture of it, and God answered that prayer. So 50,000 Christians came together in the national stadium um, just to pray over our nation, to pray for our country, to pray for our young people. And we actually asked the prime minister, prime minister to come. He came, the prime minister of Singapore came, and the president came as well. And again, the president and prime minister, they never are allowed to come to, the, to events together. They're always separate. But in this event they came because the president's wife was a Christian, and she wanted to bring her husband along <laughs> as well, really. So, so it was an amazing event. And I believe when, we all, when all the Christians came together to pray, I believe that God heard our prayer. And we actually prayed over the prime minister. We sang the doxology over him, that God will bless him and give him wisdom for, for, for leading this country as well. So praying with constantly and praying with belief is something that we all should do. I'm so excited that LHBC has a monthly prayer meeting, and I encourage all of us to to make a point to come. Of course, we can pray alone at home, but there's something special that happens when you pray together, right? There's something happens that God's presence is really there when you come together as a church. So I hope as the church grows, their prayer meeting grows as well. Because I know at the prayer meeting, you invite missionaries to come. So I encourage you to pray as well. Because our goal, my, my prayer for LHBC is not a church that does more activities, but it's a church that prays more. Because when we pray, God will do the work. When we don't pray, we find ourselves very flustered, and we end up doing all the work. And prayer has always been a, a, a challenge in my life as well. And, and, but last year I saw a movie, many of might have heard of it, it's called War Room. You might have heard of it. it. came out last summer. I don't know if you saw it or not, but War Room is about, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a film um, made by some Christian um, filmmakers out of Sherwood, and they produce Facing the Giants. And it's actually a ministry in the church. So before every before the movie production starts, they have prayer meetings in the morning. The people are commissioned in front of the church. It's one of the ministries of the church they start. And in the movie, it's a movie about a lady who is harassed and helpless. She's, she's, she hasn't been going to church, and her name's Elizabeth. And and her marriage is, is going downhill, and she's really frustrated in life. And she's a real estate agent, and one day she meets this lady, and she in the midst of showing the lady her house, she asks the lady, um, what's your favorite room in the house? And the lady said, and she thought it would be the dining room, the bedroom. And she said, this is my favorite room in the house. And she said, what room is that? She says, it's my war room. And she says, have you been in the military? Is that where you keep your guns? He said, no, 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 no. This is where I pray. And she showed her a prayer closet. And on the prayer closet, had all her answered prayers from many, many years back. And she saw, because this lady was very, very, she saw like Jesus saw. She saw Elizabeth's eyes. She saw that she wasn't happy. You know when you look at someone through their eyes? She saw that she was sad. She looked at her eyes. And she said, Elizabeth, are you okay? How's your life? And somehow Elizabeth opened up to her. And she encouraged Elizabeth, you pray. You go home. And I encourage you to pray to God who hears, the God of compassion. So she did. So she went home, and it was really hard to dig out her closet, but she eventually began to pray. And she began to pray in her own prayer closet. And as she prayed, things began to change in her life. She began to have a love for God. And I won't spoil the movie, but she began that prayer life. So after I watched that movie, God convicted me of prayer, so I went to my my very, very small house in Singapore. It's not very big. And I'm like, there's no closet here. <laughs> there's no closet here. So I was like, where is this going to be? So I said, well, there's a, there's a corner in our bedroom. So it's, it's going to be our prayer corner. And at the corner, there's a picture over here. I just, I just uh, put some pieces of paper and some Post-it notes. And I thought of the different areas in my life that I would like God to work. You know, one is Singapore, one is the USA, and LHBC is on there as well. Your, I'm praying for you every week as well and missions is the one with lots there and there's a family and there's a church one and, and we try every morning before I wake up before I, I try to sit in front of the prayer wall and just pray and as God brings different prayer needs into my life I write it on a post-it note and I stick it on there and I re- as, I, as I do it I re- it really has really invigorated my prayer life because I re- it releases all my problems to the Lord and when I see the prayer wall, I said, it is the Lord's duty to answer these prayers. And the amazing thing is, is that as we're praying, especially for missions, okay, this is very dangerous as well, we're praying that God will really um, help me and my family get more involved in missions. And one thing I'd like to share with you is that um, in a few years' time, as we're praying, um, as we're praying for the prayer requests, the reason why they're post-it notes is that, as God answered the prayer, uh, I take it off and I put it on a answer prayer part. And my wife said, well, "We should really honor God answering prayer." So she went to IKEA and got a frame that you can open, and we began putting prayers, collecting the prayers in a frame to honor the God, honor God. And and we decided to put it in a frame. I just want to show you that it's already March, and our our pr- answer prayer frame is already filled up. And every one of these is God answering our prayers? Every one of them. And as we put the, the sticky notes on here, it enforces that God really answers prayer. And it's changed our belief system that when we actually pray to God, He answers it. It's all filled up and it's only March. We've got to buy another frame. We've got to buy another frame. And we want to put this in our, in our wall to really honor God. And one of the things we we pray for is our pre-believing friends. And one of the things we pray for is that God will lead our family to be more involved in missions. And God has answered our prayer because through our prayer, God has led us that me and my family want to get more involved in missions. And and we've talked with our church leadership. So in 2018, which is two years away, um, the church is going to send us to one of the countries I minister in, either Indonesia or maybe Philippines. And God is leading us. And it's through prayer that God has led us Um, to move our whole family to Indonesia or Philippines, just to be closer to our partners. And I share with you, you, not to brag about my prayer life, but I share this with you is that I encourage us all to pray, but also to keep track of the prayers that God has answered. Because I want you to experience the the power of God answering your prayers. And you realize the power of prayer. I think a lot of us, especially in America, are very self-sufficient. You know, my wife is reading um, Little House on the Prairie, <laughs> uh, the Laura Ingalls series, and she says something about the American culture is very pioneering, very can-do. We can do anything. We can pioneer. But I think with that spirit, sometimes you leave God out of the situation, and you do everything on your own. So God, God's gift to us is prayer because we realize we surrender our problems, our things, and God, our agenda to God's agenda as well. So missions really begins we have a heart of compassion and a passion for prayer and as we pray our children will fall along as well i never thought about this so at my prayer wall as well as i was praying each day my son came up to me and says what are you doing papa i'm doing our prayer wall and he was like oh i want to pray too i was like what do you want to pray for and he started listing his classmates that he was praying for And he says i want to pray for korea I was like, why? Because one of his classmates is from Korea. So we, he also also sticks up things on the wall, too, that some of his classmates will come to know Jesus. So this is the power of what really God can do to prayer. So to summarize today, really, the, the Matthew chapter 9 really tells us two things to begin a mission. is to see as God sees and to pray as God sends the laborers. And missions begins when we have a heart of compassion and really a passion for prayer. And I think we're in a stage of American history. There's going to be elections. America needs a lot of prayer. <laughs> a lot of prayer. And God promises is if my people pray and humble themselves, he will answer and he'll heal our land. That's what it says in Second Chronicles 7.14. I want to close with just a testimony from one of our church members who experienced the power of prayer. And it's a story of a guy named Don and Mei Hua. They're two members in our church Again, Meihua was a, a, a lady in our church. She was single, and she studied in university, and she, made a, she met a handsome guy named Don, um, Don, and she liked him, but there was a problem. Don wasn't a Christian. <laughs> okay, Don wasn't a Christian, so she knew that she should not be unequally yoked, so she simply prayed. Okay, and, and God, in his, 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 his grace and mercy, um, converted Don to become a Christian. And Don and Meihua started coming to our church, But because Don was a younger Christian and Meihua was the older Christian, um, Don was very skeptical of church. He said, I just want to go to church and I just want to sit. I want to listen to a sermon. I want to go home. I don't want to go to a small group. I don't want to serve. I don't want to do anything. And of course, Meihua was very sad that this happened. And they they continued on. And eventually, they actually got married as well in, in the church. But he didn't really want to get that involved. And then one day, um, Don uh, went on a, a a tourist trip. He went on a, a, a trip with his friends. I don't know why they did this, but they went to visit a pineapple farm in Malaysia. I don't know why they did this. He tells me, I don't know why I went to visit a pineapple farm. But he went there, and the pineapple farm is called uh, Pekinanis. Um, in, in Malaysia, Pekinanis means pineapple hill. So he was He went to the um, pineapple farm, and when he left the pineapple farm, the word pekin was in his head a lot. Pekin, pekin, pekin for some odd reason. And then he was driving home, and he got lost. He got lost, and as he got lost, he looked at a sign, and the sign said he was in Kalong Baru. Okay, Kalong Baru. He said, okay. And we went home. When he went to sleep, he couldn't get two words out of his head. He couldn't get the word pekin. He couldn't get the word baru out of his head. He was, and he says, what's a Baru? What's a Pekinbaru? Is that a thing? Is a, I don't know what it was. And the very next day when he came to church, he came to church um, before the speaker. They said, today we're going to have a special testimony of a young girl who went on a mission trip. And she's going to talk about her mission trip to Pekinbaru. He about flipped out of his chair. He said, Pekinbaru, it's a city in Indonesia, and the girl began talking about, oh, I went to Peck and Baru. I had a wonderful time. And Don was just sitting there saying, what is happening? Does God want me to go to Peck and Baru? It's like, I don't even like you know, mission trips. I don't even want to go to a small group. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. And, he, and then that week, there was an advertisement in the bulletin. He said, any member want to go to Peck and And he looked at this, and he was in amazement. And he just thought, is God calling me to Peck and Baru? And he decided to obey that voice. And he went to his wife, Meihua, and said, Hey, do you want to go to a mission trip to Peck and borrow?" She's like, What? I thought you hate missions. And she said, No, it's just it just happened. And then, you know, Meihua was thinking, Oh my goodness. Because she had been she had been praying all this time because she realized all the words she says doesn't have any influence on him. So she's been silently praying. And lo and behold, both him and his wife went to Pequim and, and me and my wife went as well, and we took our, our, our son Enoch when he was a year old. That was pretty crazy as well, right? And we went there, and, and Don had an amazing time. God really, he really opened his eyes to what God is doing in the world. He has never been on a mission trip before. He went to the very first time. And when he came back, God really opened his eyes to see the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. So when he came back, he joined a small group, yeah, he joined a small group with his wife. And as a small group leader, the small group was growing. It was, it was increasing, like some of the small groups here. And um, they needed to multiply to two groups. Okay? And then they asked Don. They saw how he enthusiastic. He was, Don, would you like to lead the new group? He's like, no way. I'm the youngest Christian in this group. But they said, no, we see that you really want to grow. You want to learn. So he decided to do it. So now Don is a small group leader or oh, with his wife of a small group. And that group is growing, and, and he's still involved in missions. He's joined our internet missions group, how you can develop apps for missions because he's in that, in that line. He's, he's in all this work. And when I look back at this, it just astounds me. That is, he didn't do, go into missions because you know, I forced him to, I advertised him to do all these things. All of Don's mission work, it all began when one person when one person prayed that prayer, that God will send out people to the harvest. And our question today is, will we pray as well? Let's pray. Let's close our eyes and pray together. Before I close in prayer, I believe every time the word of God is preached, there should be a response because we don't want it to be doers of the word but here's the word. So with our eyes closed, I want to lead us in just a simple response today before we have the offering time. God is looking for people to be involved in missions. He doesn't call all of us to go on mission trip. He doesn't call all of us to, to move our families, but he calls all of us to one thing, is to pray. So Today I believe God is speaking to many of us about the importance of prayer, the need to pray, and to believe in the power of our prayer. So with our eyes closed, no one looking around us, ask if you want to make a commitment today to say, Lord, you're speaking to me. I really want to make a commitment to pray. Pray for missions. Just to pray on a regular basis for the the things of the world, for my non-Christian friends. Just help me to improve my prayer life. If that's a commitment you want to make today, and I believe many of us commit. I want you just to raise your right hand to the Lord saying, Lord, Help me to be a prayer warrior. Help me to pray and one day see people go on mission field, see people coming to the Lord. It's because of prayer. I can't do very much, but I can pray. And I want to experience God answering prayers. That is your desire. Just raise your right hand as it's a simple commitment to the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you see our hands raised today. Lord, and our hands are raised because we want to pray the same prayer of the disciples, As teach us to pray. We have so much to learn about depending upon you, about surrendering to you, Lord. But Lord, the world cannot be reached, America cannot be reached, our friends cannot be reached until we learn to pray. And we pray, Lord, that as we pray, you will send out laborers into the harvest field, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, Amen.